Chapter thirty eight of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter thirty eight. A fine old gentleman. When I came to look round upon this state of things and consider it, I made up my mind to tempt Providence, or rather perhaps the most opposite power, by holding on where I was, in spite of the parson and all his devices. This was a stupid resolve, and one on which he had fully calculated. I was getting a little perhaps fond of Nanette, though not quite so much as she fancied, feeling unable to pin my faith to a thing she had whispered into my ear, to wit that she would thrice soon inherit one three grand money, hundred thousand, more than one great strong man could lift. I asked her to let me come and try, and she said it was possible to be, having a thorough acquaintance with Crapas and the small wretched particles of their money, I did not attach much importance to this, for I like our king's face, and they have not got it, and they seem to stamp their stuff anyhow, but in spite of all prejudice, it would be well to look a little into it, particularly as this girl, whether right or wrong, in thousands, had a figure not to be denied when you came home to her. Nevertheless, I am not the man to part with myself at random, and there was a good farmer's daughter now, solid and two-and-thirty, which is my favorite ship to sail in, handy, strong, and with guns well up. This young woman crossed the ferry at eightpence a day for my sake, and I thought of retaining a lawyer, to find what might be her prospects. She was by no means bad to look at, when you got accustomed, and her nature very kind and likely to see to Bunny's clothes. Also, she never contradicted, which is cotton wool to one who ever has rheumatics. But I did not wish to pay six and eightpence, and then be compelled to lose eightpence a day in order to steer clear of her, so I ferried both her and Nanette alike, and let them encounter one another, and charged no difference in their weight. Nothing better fits a man for dealing with the womankind than to be well up in fish. Now I found the benefit of that knowledge where I never looked for it, and I knew the stale from the fresh, though these come alike in the pickle of matrimony, also, which is far more to the point, the soft rose from the hard rose. These you cannot change, but must persuade yourself to like whichever you happen to get of them, and that you find out afterwards. While I was dwelling upon these trifles, and getting on well with my serious trade, working my ferry, and catching salmon so as to amaze the neighborhood, also receiving my well-earned salary from the fair Mistress Isabel, and surprising the public-houses every night with my narratives, in a word becoming the polar star of both sides of the river, a thing befell me which was quite beyond all sense of reason." 
through wholesome fear of parson chowne and knowledge of his fire tricks i kept the rose of devon in a berth of deep fresh water where a bulk of sand backed up and left a large calm pool of river here the dimpling water scarcely had the life to flow along when the tide was well away and scarcely brought a single bubble big enough to break upon us according to the weather so the colour of the water was only when you understood it seemed to please you always one night i was not asleep but getting very near it setting in my mind afloat as i felt the young tide flowing thoughts or dreams or lighter visions than the lightest dream that flits of about concerning touching anyhow regarding or in any lightest side light gleaming who can tell or glancing from the checkers of the day work suddenly a great explosion blew me out of my berth and filled the whole of the cuddy with blaze and smoke i lay on the floor half stunned and with only sense enough for wondering then providence enabled me on the strength of the battles i had been through to get on my elbow and look around everything seemed quite odd and stupid for a little while to me i neither knew where i was nor what had happened or would happen me it may have been half an hour or it may have been only half a minute before i was all alive again and able to see to the mischief then i found that a very rude thing had been done and a most unclerical action not to be lightly excused and wholly undeserved on my part a good-sized kettle of gunpowder had been cast into my cuddy possibly as a warning to me but to say the least a dangerous one my wrath overcame all fear so much that in spite of the risk of meeting others i rushed through the smoke and up the ladder and seized my gun from its sling on the deck and gazed or rather i should say stared in every direction around me but whether from the darkness of the night or the stinging and stunning turmoil in my eyes and upon my brain i could not descry any moving shape or any living creature and this even added to my alarm so that i got very little more sleep that night i do assure you however i kept my own counsel about it even from my lady patroness resolving to maintain a sharp lookout and act as behooved a gallant simro thrown amongst a host of savages to this intent i took our tiller which was just about six feet long and entirely useless now and i put a bit of a bottom to it so as to stand quite decently and fixed a cross trestle for shoulders and then dressed it up so with my old fishing suit and a castaway hat to encourage my brains that really though the thing was so grave i could not help laughing at myself in the dusk it was so like me when the labours of the day were over and the gleam of the water deadened i set up this other fine davy llewellyn on board the ketch now here now there sometimes leaning over the bulwarks in contemplation of the river which was my favourite attitude from my natural turn for reflection sometimes idly at work with a rope or anything or nothing only so as to be seen from shore and exposed to the public his whereabouts meanwhile i crouched in a ditch hard by and with both barrels loaded you will say this was an unchristian thing especially as i suspected strongly that my besiegers wore naked backs and would therefore receive my discharge in full 
i will not argue that point but tell you in common fairness to myself and to prevent any slur of the warm affection long subsisting between all who have cared to listen to me and my free self that whenever i hoped for a chance at those fellows i drew the duck shot from the first barrel and put a light charge of snipe shot in which no man could object to the second barrel was ready in case that the worst should come to the worst as we say now it is a proof of my bad luck and perhaps of my having done a thing below the high welsh nature that providence never vouchsafed me a single shot at any one of them the more trouble i took the less they came until i could scarcely crook my fingers through the rheumatics they brought on me night after night i said to myself if it only pleases the lord to save me from the wiles of this anointed one i vow to go back to my duty and teach those other young chits of boys their work for i had observed though i would not tell it except in a rheumatic twinge that even captain bampfylde's men had lost the style of drawing oars through the water properly and as i used to give the tune five and twenty years agone it is needless to say that after all the close actions i have conquered in a canister of gunpowder was nothing to disturb me but as they might do worse next time whether in joke or earnest i made me a hutch of stout strong oak also cut the bulkhead out and freed myself into the hold at once upon any unjust disturbance nigh me was my double gun heavily shotted at bedtime and the spark which had knocked down parson chowne and might have to do it again perhaps and now i began to persuade myself into happy sleep again for my nature is not vindictive one night i lay broad awake perhaps from having shot a curlew and eaten him without an onion sewn inside while roasting but he had been so hard to shoot that i was full of zeal to dine upon him and had no onion handy whether it were so or not i lay awake and thought about the strange things now come over me to be earning money at a very noble rate indeed to be winning the attentions of it may be ten young women each of whom believe that never had i been in love before and to be establishing a business which could scarcely fail of growing to a public-house with benches and glass windows looking down upon the river and yet with all this prospect brewing scarcely to have a moment's peace what a lucky thing for parson chowne that i have no cold black blood in me in this medley of vague thoughts such as all men of large brain have and even myself when the moon ordains it a strong and good idea struck me and one to be dwelled upon to-morrow and if then approved to be carried out immediately this was no less than to beg an audience of sir philip bampfylde himself and tell him all that i ever had seen of chowne and his devices and place sir philip on his guard and learn maybe a little of the many things that puzzled me of course i had thought of this before but for several reasons had forborne to carry it any further in the first place it seemed such a coarse rude way of meeting plans that should be met with equal stealth and subtlety unless a man were prepared to own himself vanquished in intelligence again it would have been very difficult to obtain a private interview without some stir concerning it moreover i felt a delicacy with respect to my stewardship on behalf of those two children 
for a stranger might not at a glance perceive that prudence and self-denial on my part which the worrisome frivolousness of the fish had for the time frustrated however i now perceived that a gentleman of sir philip's lofty bearing could not with any grace or dignity allude to his own beneficence and as for the second difficulty i might hope for miss carey's good offices while i could no longer think to encounter chowne with his own weapons since he had blown me out of bed accordingly i persuaded my beautiful young lady who had plenty of sense but not much craft and was pleased with my straightforwardness to lead me into sir philip's presence in a lonely part of the grounds near the river to the westward and out of sight of the house in a word not far from the braunton burrows here the river made a bend and came to the breast of an ancient orchard rich with grass and thick with trees leafless now but thickly bearded upon every twig with moss this was of every form and fashion and of almost every hue i had never seen such a freaksome piece of work outside the tropics although in devonshire common enough where the soil is moist and the climate damp some of these trees lay down on the ground as if they were tired of standing and some were in sitting postures and some half leaning over but all alive in spite of that and fruitful when it suited them and everything being neglected now from want of the squire's attention heaps of rosy and golden apples lay where they had been piled to sweat but never led to the cider-press perceiving no sign of sir philip about and remembering how it was now beginning to draw on for christmas-time i felt myself welcome to one or two of these neglected apples for it was much if nobody of the farmers wives who crossed the ferry could afford me a goose for christmas in my solitary hole and even if all should fail disgracefully of their duty towards me i had my eye on a nice young bird of more than the average plumpness who neglected his parents advice every day and came for some favourite grass of his which only grew just on the river's verge within thirty yards of my fussel it would have shown low curiosity to ask if he owned an owner from his independent manner i felt that he must be public property and i meant to reduce him into possession right early in the morning of the saint that was so incredulous it is every man's duty to treat himself well at the time of the holy nativity and having a knowledge of devonshire geese after two months on the stubbles i could not do better than store in my boat one or two of these derelict apples never do i see or taste an apple without thinking of poor bardie appledees she always called them and she was so fond of them and her little white teeth made marks like a small tooth comb in the flesh of them i was thinking of her and had scarcely embarked more than a bushel or so for sauce in a little snug locker of my own when i had the pleasure of seeing the gentleman whom i had come all that way to see at my own desire and through miss carey's faith in me it had not been laid before sir philip that i was likely to meet him here only she had told me when and where to come across him so as not to be broken in upon now he came down the narrow winding walk at the lower side of the orchard a path overhanging a little brook which murmured under last summer's growth and i gazed at him silently for a while through the bushes that overhung my boat he was dressed as when i had seen him last through my telescope at the time we came up the river 
that is to say, in black velvet, and with his long sword hanging beside him, a brave and stately and noble man, walking through a steady gloom of grief, and yet content to walk alone, and never speak of it. I leaped through the bush at the river's brink, and suddenly stood before him. He set his calm, cold gaze upon me without a shadow of surprise, as if to say, you have no business in my private grounds. However, it is not worth speaking of. I made him a low bow with my hat off, and he moved his own and was passing on. Will your worship look at me, I said, and see whether you remember me? He seemed just a little surprised, and then with his inborn courtesy complied i have seen you before but i know not where sir i often need pardon now for the weakness of my memory in a few words i brought to his mind that evening visit to my cottage with anthony stew and the yellow carriage to be sure to be sure i remember now he said with his grave and placid smile david llewellyn both good old names and the latter i dare say in your belief both the older and the better one i remember your hospitality your patience and your love of children is there anything i can do for you no your worship nothing i am here for your sake only although if i wanted i would ask you having found you so good and kind whence did you get that expression my friend the common usage is kind and good i once knew a very little child but i suppose it is the welsh idiom your worship i can speak english thoroughly better even than my own language and all around us the scholarly people have more english than of welsh but to let your worship know my cause to come so much upon you is of things more to the purpose i have found a bad man meaning mischief to your worship it cannot be so he replied withdrawing as if i were taking a liberty no doubt but you mean me well llewellyn and yourself believe it but neither i nor any one else of all my family now so small can have given reason for any ill-will towards us it was not for me to dare to speak while the general was reflecting thus as if in his own mind going through every small accident of his life even the servants he might have discharged or the land forces ordered for punishment whereof to my mind they lack more than they get and grow their backs up in a manner beyond all perception of discipline for my part i could not help thinking as i watched him carefully how low and black must be the nature of the heart that could rejoice in such a man's unhappiness a man who at threescore years and five was compelled to rack his memory even after being long in uncontrolled authority to find a time when he might have given cause for a private enmity if i had only enjoyed such chances i must have had at least a score of strong enemies by this time being a little surprised i looked again and again at his white eyebrows while his eyes were on the ground also at his lips and nostrils which were highly dignified and i saw in my dry low way one reason why he had never given offence he was perhaps a little scant of humour and of quickness which two things give more offence to the outer world that has them not than the longest course of rigid business carried on without them i have seen a man who could not crack nuts fly into a fury with one who could 
and these reflections made me even yet more anxious to serve him so grave and calm and simple-minded and so patient was his face nevertheless i did not desire i would at that point of his sword have refused a halfpenny for the things of import which i now disclosed to him he led me to an ancient bench beneath a well-worn apple-tree and sat thereon and even signed for me to sit beside him my knowledge of his rank would not permit me to do this until i was compelled to argue a gentleman more shaped and set inside his own opinions it had never been my luck to have to deal with now and then there are men you cannot laugh at though you get the best of them unless your conscience works with such integrity as theirs does and the sense of this in some way unknown may have now been over me how i began it or even showed my sense of manners and of all the different rank between us is beyond my knowledge now and must have flowed from instinct then enough that i did lead sir philip to have thoughts and to hearken me with a power not expected by myself at first beginning while in doubt of throat and words i contrived to set before him much that had befallen me though i never said a word that lay outside my knowledge neither let a spark of heat find entrance to my mind at all and would rather speak too little than be thought outrageous there could be no doubt that my simple way of putting all i had to say moved this lofty man as if he were one of the children at the well belonging to john the baptist i thought of all those pretty dears as i beheld him listening and the way they sat around me and their style of moving toes at any great catastrophe whiles they kept their hands and noses under very stiff control also the universal sigh when my story killed any one by any means unfit to die and their pure contempt of the things they suck the whole while they are swallowing sir philip to whom my thoughts meant no failure of respect but feeling of simplicity this old gentleman let me speak as one well accustomed to lengthiness but i did my best to keep a small helm and yards on the creek for bracing if i take you aright he said as i drew near the end of my story you have not a high opinion of that reverend gentleman stoyle chowne i look upon him your worship as the blackest-hearted son of belial ever sent into this world sir philip frowned as behooved a man accustomed to authority and only to have little words half spoken out before him but at my time of life no officer under an admiral on full pay could have any right to damp my power of expression however my respect was such for the presence of this nobleman that i rose and made a leg to him i am sorry to say he answered bowing to my bow as all gentlemen must do that this is not the first time i have heard unpleasant things about poor stoyle he is my godson and has been almost as one of my own children i never can believe that he would ever do me injury if i thought it i should have to think amiss of almost every one he turned away as if already he had said more than he meaned and feeling how he treated me as if of his own rank almost i did not wonder at the tales of men who give their lives to save him in the bloody battle time knowing the world as i do i only sighed 
and waited for him you are very good he said without a tone of patronage to have thought to help me by delivering your opinions a heavy trouble has fallen upon us and the goodwill of the neighbourhood has many times astonished me however you must indulge no more in any such wild ideas they all proceed from the evil one and are his choicest device to lower the value of holy orders the reverend stoyle chowne descends from a very good old family at any rate on his father's side and he has his dignity to maintain and his holy office to support him on this head i will hear no more the general shut his mouth and closed it so that i could never dare to open mine again to him concerning this one subject and his manner stopped me so that i only made my duty this he acknowledged in a manner which became both him and me and then he passed through a little gate to his usual walk upon Braunton Burroughs. End of chapter 38